Hello, everybody. This is Daniel C. Hartman coming to you from the not-so-famous basement studio of Now, Then, and a Little Bit of Zen. Today, we're going to try out a new format, which is a little bit of news and reviews for you. But before we get to that, we've got some housekeeping from last week. Our trivia question was, who was the odd serial killer with a very odd name that was created by artist writer Phil Hester during his run on Green Arrow? The answer, drum roll please, is Automatopoeia. That's right, Automatopoeia. Phil created this very bizarre character just for Green Arrow, but he's appeared in a couple other books including with our with the bat today we bring you some sad news from the comic book world alan grant a very talented comics writer who is best known for his work on batman detective comics judge dread and lobo has passed away Grant died on July 21st, according to a Facebook post by his wife, Susan. Although no cause of death was given, Grant reportedly has been ill for some time. In a quote from Liam Sharp on Twitter, Grant was described as a towering presence in comics and a force of nature and life. Sharp went on to say that changes in circumstance meant I had not seen him for far too long and I've been meaning to put that right. Grant originally was a Scottish comics superstar and a great ambassador for that country before moving down to London to work for IPC magazines from 1978 to 1980, where he served as the editor of the 2000 the influential British comic magazine. He wrote the Future Shocks, Judge Dredd, Stromium Dog, Robo Hunter, and Blackhawk. Grant also introduced his own comic book alter ego, ALN-1, who was the robotic assistant to his to Darg the Mighty. 2001 AD is that influential British comic magazine. Many of you know that magazine because that is where Judge Dredd got his start. In another quote, Gary Erskine said that Grant passed away was a sad loss for comics fans and professionals alike and that you should pick a favorite book or discover a story for the first time and enjoy his work. That is attributed to Twitter. Grant came over to the States as part of the British invasion of American comics in the 1980s with his fellow luminaries like Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, Garth Ennis, Dave Gibbons, and Grant Morrison. In 1987, he made his DC Comics debut, but that didn't really go anywhere. It was a book, it was a mini series called Outcast, 
but it did get him his run on Detective Comics. That was kicked off in 1988. His work on Detective was began a fruitful working relationship with artist Norm Breifogel, who was a frequent collaborator on Batman, the Batman character. During that time, Grant created new villains such as Anarchy and the Ventriloquist. The Ventriloquist was also was created with co-writer John Wagner. Grant had a long stay in Gotham City, and it also included a 24-issue run on a series on Batman, the series. He also did many Judge Dredd crossovers, and then his crowning achievement was 82 issues of Batman Shadow of the Bat, which he and uh, Bry Fogel introduced villains such as Victor Zaz and Jeremiah Arkham. He worked with Bry Fogel again in the late 90s on a couple of Anarchy miniseries. Another character that Grant is known for at DC was Lobo. Lobo, of course, is the intergalactic main man, bounty hunter, created by Keith Giffen and Roger Cipher in 1983. And along with artist Simon Beasley, Grant collaborated on 64 issues, all of which were written or co-written by him. And these were a series of many series and titles, but that's how Lobo got his start basically, is became the character he is, is because of Grant's writing. Besides working for uh, DC, Grant also did some work for Marvel's Image Epic Comics imprint. Bloom, Bloom Studios, and also a few others. He created The Bogeyman, also with John Wagner, with writer John Wagner and artist Rob, Robin Smith. Alan Grant, you will be next. You will be missed. Okay, now we're gonna do a couple comic reviews. First one, I got one thing to say to the X-Men. The Eternals are coming. The Eternals are coming. And I don't mean the movie, because with that movie, you need a whole lot of no-dos and a couple triple espressos. But no, this is in the pages of A, X, E, Judgment Day, number one. It's a major crossover, stars not only the X-Men, but also the Eternal. I mean, also the Eternals and the Avengers. Now, I know what you're saying that about the Eternals. These, that movie was a snoozer. But one thing about it, go to your local comic shop or go to your public library. They're bound to have some of the books, the Eternals books, get the originals 
the original 19th issue series by Jack Kirby. Excellent stuff. But then there's also books with artists such as Karen Dwyer and John Romita Jr. Really good stuff. It fleshes out the characters. You get a better handle on the characters anyway. This issue of Judgment Day, the Eternals are getting ready to attack our merry band of mutants. The mutants, as everybody knows, who've been following the X-Men comics, are now on the island of Krakoa. They've got their own civilization and they're their own nation, so they can't be persecuted anymore. But they've got a rude awakening. Something big's coming down the tracks. If you're not familiar with Krakoa, Krakoa was, is a living island, otherwise known as the island that, that walks like a man. It was introduced way back in Giant Size X-Men number one by Len Wen and Dave Cockrum in the very first appearance of the new X-Men team. So, not only the Eternals, you want to find out what Krakoa was like when it first started. I'm kind of creeped out by Krakoa from that first, first issue because I don't know if I want to be in an island that's going to want to suck the life force out of me. But go back and check this out. Anyway, one of the Eternals, Druig, you remember that name from the movie. Doesn't look like the same guy, but he thinks that the X-Men are right down there with the Deviants, who are the time are the foes of the Eternals. He thinks that they're a mistake, a genetic mistake, and should be eradicated. And he's been spying on them for some time in the pages of the X-Men comics. So anyway, this, this issue finds him launch, starting to launch his attack on mutant kind. So you're wondering, how do the Avengers get involved? Well, a certain billionaire that likes a tin tuxedo is going to lunch with one of the Eternals who used to be an Avenger. And something happens. So pick up this book. There's a lot going on in it. So you, but before that, I want, this is a, this is a capsule and review of a title that comes before. It's called X-Men Hellfire Gala number one. Now, this is a one shot. Last year, they did a Hellfire Gala series and it was a big buildup, but this is a chance for the mutants to show the world, you know, this is their big blowout bash that they have. And, you know, they have mutant couture. But this year, they're inviting people like the Avengers. So you get to see Captain America and Iron Man, She-Hulk and Spider-Man all dressed up in fancy dress to go to this. 
And there's some interesting things going like Sorcerer Supreme, the new Sorcerer Supreme comes to the Quiet Council of Krakoa with a request. So there's a lot going on in this book too. So that's another one to pick up. Our next review is a DC book. It's Dark Crisis, Young Justice number two. It's not really good days for the Young Justice team. You know, they're usually like a lighthearted team, but the world's not only being run up, overran by villains, they found out that their mentors in the Justice League are believed to be dead. So can you blame Robin, Impulse, and Superboy for deciding that they've had enough of the present day? So they decide to go back in time to when Young Justice was first formed because it was a kinder, gentler time. But sometimes that's not such a good idea because it may not have been such a nice time. One thing they forget to do though, they forget to tell Wonder Girl, Cassie Sandsmark. And so she has to, she wonders what happened to him. The title of this tale is called A Tale of Two Cassies, A Tale of Two Wonder Girls. So you wanna pick up this one too. It's a good story, but it's maddening and heavy-handed sometimes. And you see that they give you, you know, the writer gives you good, you know, showing you that today's not so good and yesterday wasn't so good. And it gives you, you know, twists about the whole lure of nostalgia and about being a legacy hero. And it also showed shows the spotlight on some younger heroes that haven't been shown, haven't really been getting any, you know, press in a long time. So you've got the Tim Drake Robin, you've got Connor Kent, Superboy, and Bart Allen, who is Impulse. And these characters definitely make this worth picking up. Finally, you have my review of Thor, Love and Thunder. Movie starts off with a guy who's worshiping gods on a desolate planet. And he's trying to just keep his daughter alive. Guy discovers after his daughter passes away that the god was just using the god, his gods that he was praying to so diligently we're just using him. And so from there, he finds an ancient weapon and he becomes the film's villain called Gore the, Gore the God Butcher. Gore the God Butcher is played by Christian Bale. I can't say enough that Christian Bale if you go in there and you're anticipating, you know, this is a one-dimensional actor. This is not. This guy goes through the whole gamut of emotions in this movie. He's really good. Um, but anyway, the weapon he gets is called the Necro Sword. The Necro Sword corrupts him and sets him down the road to being 
that he decides and tells him that he has to kill all the gods. And that, of course, puts him into conflict with one Thor Odin's son, play, played by Chris Hemsworth. And now this is the first Marvel, solo Marvel character MCU movie that has four, four titles and has had four movies made. So this is a special movie. Also, this is in vain of Ragnarok. But one thing I'm going to warn you about, Ragnarok had a lot of comedy in it. This one has more comedy in it. The movie starts out for Thor. He's hanging around with the Guardians of the Galaxy still, as we last saw him um, in Avengers Endgame, took off with them. And they have hijinks on a planet where he's supposed to be saving them. Well, watch the movie to find out what he does, but the, but the people of this planet give them very interesting gifts. Were they a gift or were they just trying to get rid of him? One thing I did like in this movie is how they brought back Natalie Portman into the Marvel movies because you know, everybody said Natalie Portman doesn't want to do a Marvel movie again. She's burned out on him. She didn't think they treated her character. Well, they treat her character well in this movie. If you want, again, the story of how how Jane Foster gets brought into this, read the Mighty Thor comics. It gives you the explanation. I'm not telling you anymore. Tessa Thompson is also incredible as King Valkyrie. You have some great stuff in this movie. Like, did you ever know that a battle axe could be jealous? No, but it can be especially when it meets its owner's former weapon who was supposed to be destroyed, that being Mjornor the hammer. Another great thing I love about this movie is when they discover that Gore is killing all the gods, they go to a city that is just gods and there are all sorts of gods. They had even the celestials are there. And the funniest one is a dumpling god. But the leader of the city of gods is none other than Zeus, played by Russell Crowe. And that is great. His part is great. I also love the soundtrack of this movie. Just like in Ragnarok, they had a huge battle scene on where they had a huge battle scene on the Rainbow Bridge set to the tune of the Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. There's a great battle scene in this one. It has to be seen to believe. I won't and I can't describe it all here, but I recommend this movie. And I'm going to tell you it's not all action. There's a lot of comedy again. And it, if you don't like a lot of comedy, you might not enjoy it as much as I do. But it's a great movie. Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, and the whole cast are great. And stick around, especially 
for the after, for the mid credit scenes. They they bring some interesting things into the movie or for the future. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening again this week. And please tune in next week. Like I said, this is a new format I'm working with. And I thought I'd try it out with you, but I hope you liked it. As for this week, this is Now Then and a little bit of Zen. And your host, Daniel Hartman, signing off. Have a great week and bye.